So I don't know how you guys are feeling about the election. Probably pretty good. Um, get it? It's a joke. Um, it made me think about this thing. I saw an article a couple years ago in this magazine. This dude was a multimillionaire businessman and scientist, and he was planning for a peaceful democratic space utopia on another planet. And he really believed that he was going to gather a bunch of people from all countries. There were like 217 countries represented in the people that signed up. He had like 300,000 people sign up to come with him to his space utopia that he had named Asgardia. And uh, he said that it's really simple. My task is to defend planet Earth and defend humanity. Nothing more. Like, no big deal. That's We're just going to go to this new planet and we're going to defend everybody and it's going to be this awesome utopia where we don't have any of the problems that we have here. And one interesting point, which is probably doesn't surprise anybody, that they had a really hard time getting women to sign up for this planet. Um, it was mostly dudes who were Star Wars fans. And uh, they said that everything was going great until no one could decide on how they were going to be governed. And it's like, oh, yeah, see, the problem is not the powers that be. The problem is not that we need a new planet to explore the problem is us. That we have something inside of us that's going to ruin any Asgardia that we set up. And uh, this, this sermon series that we're in now, Thy Kingdom Come, we are letting Jesus interpret the commandments for us. We're looking at the Ten Commandments through the lens of Jesus, and we're allowing him to show us our, our working definition of commandments, our pathways that we walk with God to experience life in God and to experience life with him. And so these pathways are pathways for life. We just finished this other series about being uh, a kingdom of priests. That's, that's who we are as God's people. We are a kingdom of priests. And so priests are people who draw close to God and invite other people into that closeness. And so as priests, what it is to draw close to God is to walk these pathways with him, to take Jesus by the hand, allow him to walk us down these pathways. And so today we are looking at uh, the sixth commandment, and the sixth commandment is Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Murdering is slaying with premeditation. So before I pick up my weapon and kill you, I'm thinking about killing you. And the reason I'm thinking about killing you is because it's, it's rooted in hatred. It's rooted in a devaluing of who you are in my mind. It's devaluing, it's dehumanizing. You are in my way, and so I am going to remove you. That's where murder starts. It's rooted in division. It's rooted in hatred. And if the situation is right, we all have this latent murder in our hearts, and it will come pouring out. And so that's what Jesus is talking to us about today. And uh, today we are, we are looking at an encounter that he has from Luke chapter 10 with a, a lawyer. And this is not a lawyer like we think. A lawyer here is uh, someone who's an expert in the law of God. So this is like a theologian. And so it's, it's Luke 10 starting in verse 25. And we're, we're just going to read the first part right now and talk about that before we move on. So this is uh, verse 25 through 29. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Like, this is a great answer. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we'll just start here that uh, this lawyer is, he's just like a perfect little jerk, right? He, he comes to Jesus and says, teacher, teach me so that I can teach you. He's so full of himself. He's like the, the person that's like your roommate's friend that comes to the party and you're like, how do you even know this person who like thinks that they're an expert in everything and they're just irritating everybody? Like, why is this person here? And so he comes to Jesus and he's not like the rich young ruler that we, we talked about a few weeks ago. He's different. This guy makes no bones about the fact that he, he doesn't really care what Jesus has to say. He is trying to trap him. He's trying to one-up him. He believes that he is superior to Jesus. And so Jesus asks him what's in the law, and he gives this beautiful definition of the law. It's really getting at the heart of the law. All of the Ten Commandments put together can be summed up in this. Love God with everything that you have. Love God with every fiber of your being. Love Him with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And in doing that, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor with the same fervor that you are taking care of your own needs. And He just blasts right through this. The heart of God's law, the heart of God, the heart of relationship, the heart of eternal life. He just blasts right through it because he can't see it. He doesn't know. He's like, yeah, 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 okay, that. Okay, so who's my neighbor? Let me define it. Uh, Please quantify it for me because uh, this is too gray. This is too messy. This is too out of control. I want something that I can control. I want something where I know that in my own power I can go and do the right thing, get the right answer, and guarantee for myself this thing that I want, which is life. So it says desiring to justify himself. We we say a lot of things because we desire to justify ourselves, don't we? I know I do. And we we can say and do all kinds of crazy things that reveal the state of our hearts, that it, it's more natural for my heart to be closed to other people than it is to be open. That's why he's asking this question, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? I don't want to love anybody. Who do I have to love? Who, who is going to like, who are you going to make me go love that is going to upset my day of focusing on myself? I, I am busy all the time justifying myself in parenting and it makes it impossible for me to love my kids because I need something from them I need them to act a certain way so that I can feel a certain way about myself I do that in pastoring too I need something from you I need you to do something so that I can feel good about myself and when I'm living like this it's it's totally transactional I it love is impossible because love is always others focused I can't love you when I'm thinking about what you can give me. So when I'm living like this, when I'm living in this place where I don't know what love is and I'm desiring to justify myself, it's seeing people as either pawns or problems. 
You are either a pawn that I can use and manipulate to get what I want, or you're a problem because you're not going to give me what I want, and so I just want to get you out of my life. It's like living life the way that you trick-or-treat, right? You, you put on a mask, you say the right things, and then people give you their candy. And then that's the end of the transaction. So I'm doing all this, song and dance. I'm looking a certain way, I'm acting a certain way because I want your candy. And then you hand me your candy, and I say thank you, and I move on, and I never think about you again because I never cared about you in the first place. And if you hand me pennies or some other garbage like that, then I'm going to write narratives about you, and I'm going to cut you off. You're a problem, and you're gone, and I'm not going to come back to your house because you don't have candy for me. Or it's like what I did a few minutes before the service. I went looking for tea, and so I stop at Frothy Monkey, and the line was out the door. Okay, you're dead to me. I'm gone. Then I go down to Portland Brew, and they say, oh, sorry, our steamer's out. Okay, you're dead to me. I'm gone. And then I go into White Bison, which I never do because I don't even really like it. And I say, White Bison, where have you guys been? I miss y'all. Do you have what I need? Okay, great. We can be friends again. And that's how, we, that's how we live so often, right? If we're really honest about what is motivating us most of the day and with most of our interactions with other people, it is that. It is, I am needing something from you, and I am going to do the song and dance to get it, and then I'm just going to move on. Matthew 5.43, Jesus says this. He's talking to his people and says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is, this is a quote. Leviticus 19.18 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. But the people of God had taken the silence on what to do with your enemy and filled it in themselves. So the, the word on the street was, Yeah, yeah, what God wants us to do is love our neighbor and hate our enemy, because he didn't say love your enemy. He just said neighbor, so we'll just, we'll take that next part. That's what he wants us to do. And the problem with that is it leaves you asking the same question that this man was asking Jesus, essentially, when he says, who is my neighbor? His, his definition of neighbor is so narrow, and it is ever-narrowing. It is ever-narrowing. Because what, it, what, is he, what he's saying here is, who do I have to love? And so it starts with maybe my nation, okay? Maybe it's the Jewish people. They're all my neighbors, but everybody else is not, and I can hate them. Well, really, maybe it's just my tribe, okay? Really, I'm going to make up a word now. Maybe it's my micro-tribe. Maybe it's the people that are really have a lot in common with me, and then everybody else is out. Or maybe it's just the people, you know, it can't be the people that are above me because I'm jealous of them. And so I'm always trying to tear them down, so clearly they're not my neighbor. It can't be the people below me because I'm already better than them, so they don't deserve me to be neighboring them. So it's got to be these people right here exactly like me who don't require anything of me and don't get in my way. And so as life goes on and I live life around people in proximity enough with people for them to disappoint me and irritate me and demand things of me, that definition is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking down until I don't have any neighbors. So actually, God's not making me love anyone. I'm just, I'm my neighbor. I'm like the only house in a new development in the cul-de-sac all by itself. Like, I have no neighbors, and so that's who I have to love is myself. Just, just worship myself, love myself, care about myself. Um, it's eerily familiar. It sounds eerily familiar to the first murderer in humanity. After murdering Abel, Cain... Uh, he, he just murders his brother 
in cold blood because he's jealous of him and he hates him. And then God says, hey, where's your brother? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not my job to look after him. This has the fingerprint of Satan all over it. This way of thinking that we find ourselves in all the time. Because think about who Satan is. He is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of everything that God loves and everything that he is establishing in his kingdom. Scripture is clear that we are all enslaved to him apart from Jesus. And Jesus says that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. In his pride, he is the figurehead of self-love, of self-focus. He's the author of self-love, the author of self-focus, the author of self-concern, and the author of self-worship. And when we are enslaved to him apart from Jesus, that's all we do because that's all we know. That's all that there is. So this man cannot possibly keep the law because he has no neighbors. He cannot be a neighbor to anyone because he doesn't have any neighbors. Love is totally foreign to him and to us. And so what hope is there? The only hope is in Jesus. And so now we're going to look at the the second half of this story. And when Jesus answers his question by not answering his question, Starting in verse 30, Jesus replies, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus is telling this man a story to teach him about love and life and neighboring and compassion. And in this story, Jesus very intentionally chooses two of this man's heroes. He's essentially choosing uh, two people that represent this man himself. Um, the, the Levite and the priest. And he said, your two heroes um, don't even know how to be human. They just saw another human laying on the side of the road half dead. And they were so concerned about justifying themselves, about not getting dirty, about not being late for where they wanted to go, about not being ceremonially unclean by maybe touching somebody who is dead or dying, that they walked on the other side of the road and avoided him completely. So no matter how much they know about Scripture, they know nothing about God. They know nothing about the character of God. They know nothing about the love of God. Following them is a dead end. And certainly aspiring to be them is a dead end as well. And then he says, but a Samaritan. And a lot of you already know this if you've heard about this 
the story, uh, you heard this preached before, but the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They considered them like subhuman. There was this weird offshoot of Judaism where they kind of went and made their own religion based on some, some Jewish rituals that they wanted to take with them, and then they added a bunch of other weird stuff to it as well. And so the Jews just despised them. And so Jesus has this enemy, this one that, that this man regards as absolute trash, the one that he hates, the one that he will not identify with on any level, is the hero of the story. The Samaritan sees this broken man and has compassion. That word compassion means literally having yearning bowels. That's how I felt when I saw my wife for the first time. <laughs> it really means to be moved with pity and to be moved with great affection. It's pity and affection coming from deep in your heart. That's what that word means. And so in order to have pity and affection, one of the things you have to have is you have to be able to identify with this person. You have to see the commonality between you and this other person. And say, I know what that's like. And my heart goes out to them. He goes to him, he cleans and binds his wounds, he brought him to an end and continued to care for him. And when he tells this story, Jesus gets to the end and he says, you tell me, you tell me who's the hero of this story and I want you to say it. Say it. Say his name. And the man can't even do it. He hates him so much he can't even bring himself to say it. He doesn't say the Samaritan. He says the one who did the thing. Because Jesus, it is destroying this man. It is making him so angry because what Jesus is saying here when he tells this story is go and be like a Samaritan. You need to learn from him. You need to learn from this person who you think is absolute trash. They have something to teach you about the heart of God. So now we have to ask that question of ourselves. Who is that person for us? And depending on who you are and where you come from and what your background is, it might look different. Here's just two examples. Maybe for you it's some unwoke QAnon disciple, Trump supporter, Confederate flag on the back of my pickup truck guy. And God is telling you, hey, like he actually is more woke than you are. You have something you can learn from that man. Or maybe for you, it's the socialist, transgender person who wants to defund the police. And God's saying, hey, they're actually closer to the truth than you are. And you can learn about God's love from them. You need to go and be a student of theirs. Whoa, whoa. like, what? No, 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 because I'm somebody. <laughs> because I'm better than that person, whoever that person is. Jesus reframes the question for the man. It's not, who is my neighbor, but am I capable of being a neighbor to anyone? And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no, apart from Jesus. I am not capable of being a neighbor to anyone. And so when Jesus says, go and do likewise, where is the hope for that? 
And the hope is, the hope is this, is that Jesus was not just telling a story about this man. He was telling a story about himself. Because the first two people that passed by this broken down man, they were people who were supposed to be neighboring God's people as under shepherds of God. They were supposed to be showing and proclaiming the love of God. They were supposed to be priests, right? That's who we are as God's people. We're supposed to be close with God and drawing others into that closeness. And they didn't. And so what did God do? God comes himself to shepherd his people. Like the man who is beaten half dead on the side of the road, we live in a wild country. We live in a world that has been marred and broken down by sin. And our lives are marred and broken down by sin. And it is painful and it's dangerous. And that's the world we live in. We're stripped, we're beaten, we're robbed, and we lay half dead. And it's really interesting that the word for half dead is existing somewhere between life and death. And I think that's a pretty good description of where we are in this place. And so what do we do? And unlike this man who is just lying there bleeding out, we're bleeding out as we're robbing and stripping other people. That's the human condition. We don't need a new planet for a space utopia. We need new hearts. We need someone to come and rescue us from ourselves, from living like this. So then Jesus shows up. He comes and he puts on skin and comes into this wild country. And he walks the same road that we walk. And he sees us as a Samaritan, as somebody who we hate. Right? We don't feel neutral toward God apart from Jesus. We hate him. Jesus says in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So much like the Samaritan, Jesus comes to the rescue of people who hate him. And he sees us, and he has compassion on us. Listen to this. Mark 1, 40 and 41 tells the story of Jesus coming in contact with a leper. And just this disgusting skin disease where your, your body parts are essentially just falling off and rotting. And it's a really great physical image of the state of our souls. And so we come to Jesus like this half-dead man, and that man in this story says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus is moved with pity and reaches out and touches him when nobody else would touch him and says, I will be clean. Just like in this story, this man probably looked disgusting, just bleeding out. And Jesus didn't run away from him. He moved toward him. He came and he touched him. And he cleaned his wounds and he bandaged his wounds and he put him on his, his, his beast and took him to the inn and continued to care for him. He stayed with him. That is who our Savior is. He has come to us in our sin, in our death, and he has become like us. And he has taken us into his arms and he has healed us at great cost to himself. At very great cost to himself. And so now he has made a way. Now he has made a way for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. To be saved from this kind of sick and disgusting and self-centered heart and way of life. If you will just believe in me, you will have eternal life starting now. 
Life will be different for you because you will have a new heart. You will have an ability that you didn't have before because of who I am and what I am in you. I am joining myself to you. My abundance of life and love is now flowing through you. Rivers of living water. Ezekiel 34, 15, and 16 says, The Lord will be our shepherd himself and make us lie down, which means give us peace. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the strayed. He will bind up the injured. He will strengthen the weak. That sounds an awful lot like the Savior who's come. So Jesus' answered to the lawyer is that anyone and everyone is your neighbor. Because of who your father is and because of who you are in your father now. Because Jesus' definition of neighbor is radically wide. You know, the, those who are enslaved to the evil one's definition of neighbor is narrowing until there's no one. And Jesus is as wide as this earth. As broad as humanity. In every way in which we are stuck in a ditch, it doesn't matter. It is wide open. He is neighbor for all. He comes to unify, to heal, to have compassion, to display pity and love, to give honor, to give dignity, to humanize. So in this election season, please don't get it twisted. Um, The enemy is not a candidate or supporters of a candidate, the enemy is the enemy. The enemy is Satan. (laughs) The enemy of God who came to steal, kill, and destroy and enslave people. Your Savior is not anyone who can win the presidential election. Your Savior is the bleeding, suffering servant who has given everything for you, who lives forever, forever to reign over the kingdom of God that will take over the entire earth. And your neighbor is every other human that you come into contact with. It's not based on what tribe you're in. It's not based on your political leanings. It is every single human. Because you are a son or daughter of God. And he is the father of all. And so now what does this mean for us? And I'm going to talk about Midtown West, but this applies to you too. Fill in the blank with your favorite congregation of where where you call home. But now from the heart, we have a new ability. We didn't have the ability to be a neighbor to anyone, and now we do. So now from the heart, because of who our Savior is, and because of the change that He has wrought in us and is bringing in us, we are being transformed. We have been transformed, and we are being transformed. So instead of asking, like, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I have to love? We're now asking, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I get to love? Bring people into my life who I can be a neighbor to. Because that is my heart's desire. I'm not afraid of it running out. I'm not afraid. I'm not living like an orphan anymore. I have an abundance. Rivers of living water are flowing through me. The King of heaven has given me himself. He lives inside of me. So bring it on. Bring anyone and everyone who needs a neighbor. I want to raise my hand and be a neighbor to these people. And he gives us a a beautiful picture in in this parable of, of what that practically looks like. So we'll just walk through that. Of what, what does this look like in my life individually and collectively as the people of God? It's as we journey. We don't have to go to some faraway place on a mission trip. It's as I journey in the life that God's called me to right here. I don't have to leave my orbit. He might expand my orbit as I go, 
But I, I don't have to go looking for something new that's out there. That's a trick. That's what the evil one wants you to think. The reality is, is God has surrounded you with possible neighbors right where you are. And so as we go, we see the Lord opens our eyes to other people. I am now capable of thinking about and seeing other people. That's not ever been the case before Jesus. So now everyone that I interact with, from my friends, my coworkers, my classmates, the people who serve me food, all of these people, my eyes are open to them. They're people to me now. They're not transactions. So I pay attention, I notice, and then when I notice, when I see what happens, I experience compassion. My heart is moved internally with a pity and an affection for people because I can identify with you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what color your skin is or who you identify with or where you grew up or how old you are. I get it because we are humans living in this wild country together. And so my heart is moved with pity for you when you experience pain and suffering, and I want blessing for you. Matthew 9, 36 says, Jesus had compassion on these people because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's how we are learning to see the world. That's how he is teaching us to see the world, to have deep compassion for people. And so when we see pain, when we see suffering, we move towards it. We don't run away from it. We don't go to the other side of the road. We move toward the person who is broken and hurting. And we can bring healing because we have him. We bring him with us. We are priests, remember? We are carrying this Savior wherever we go. The most holy place is wherever we find ourselves. And we bring healing at great cost to ourselves. Sometimes. Sometimes it's just average cost. Sometimes it's great cost. But, but we can spend ourselves and not be afraid of being all spent up to bring healing to people. And we don't leave them alone. It's not a one-shot deal. It's, it's an openness in our life to go with them, to invite them to come with us. Hey, you're not a charity case to me. You're a potential friend. That's what a neighbor is. So I'm going to invite you into my life as far in as you want to go and as God wants to take you. I'm open. Augustine said that uh, when he reads this, he sees the church as the end. And I think he's right. I think that's a, that, that's a good interpretation of this. And so we as Midtown West, um, we are a community. We are a gathering that's like the inn. It's where people come in for healing from the wild country. That's who we are. They come in. And, and we are all, remember, we're all still wounded as well. We're all still being healed. We're all still being transformed. We are, we are helping to bandage and clean wounds of each other. We are bringing the healing of Jesus. He is bringing his healing through us, and there is always room in the end. There's always room for more. And so um, what does it look like for us as a body to do, to do this kind of healing work with Jesus at great expense to ourselves? I can tell you one thing it certainly looks like. It looks like that your, your social circle is always open. It's never closed. It's never getting to a place where you say, well, I've got these three friends that are like my tightest friends, and everybody else is kind of out there, or like my small group, or whatever it is. I don't care what concentric circle we're talking about. Those are always open. 
because you're not in charge of that. Jesus is in charge of that. And, and there's an openness always for him to bring people into your life to be neighbors with. And so that is huge for me as I think about leading and pastoring Midtown West is that we are a people, we are a community where the door is always open. We're never full. We're never full. I mean, it's easy to never be full physically, but we are never full emotionally. There's never a barrier that I have to a new person walking in, and that person may become my, my new best friend. We'll just see. We'll just see what the Lord wants to do there. We don't have to worry about it. And, and even jerks like us and like this man who's wanting to teach Jesus something, um, we have space for them too because we were them. We are them. We're still learning how to not be them. And, and we were in this place, this community of healing. That's what transforms us. That's what, that's what changes us. And so Jesus is saying to us the same thing that the Samaritan said to the innkeeper in this parable. is you spend whatever it takes and I will repay you when I return. And what he is saying to us is your comfort, your security is not where life is. This world is not your home. And so I just want you to go love and neighbor and bring healing with reckless abandon. And trust me, whatever you spend, I will repay when I return. You have never seen anything like what I'm preparing for you in your real home. This is just an inn. I'm talking about your home with your father forever. He is cultivating a heart of love and blessing in us. And so uh, the last thing I want to say, because I know where our hearts tend to go, is, oh my gosh, who, who, who am I supposed to go love like this? And the answer is there's not an answer. The answer is God is changing your heart to give you a heart of love and blessing for every human that you encounter. And the Holy Spirit is with you and in you, and he will lead you. He will show you as you go. You are already loved. You already have peace with God. You don't have to earn anything from God by loving other people. You're free to just go enjoy it. Father, thank you for uh, calling us into this work. It is such a blessing. Lord, please, please, please continue to drive home the reality in our heads and our hearts that this is where life is. Please, Lord, uh, would, you, would you show us in our day-to-day -day lives this most counterintuitive thing, that if I give of myself and think about somebody else's needs and not my own, that that's actually where life is? I just confess that that is so hard. Maybe it feels like impossible, but I trust that you are working in me and that you are doing that in me and you are teaching me how to live this way. But, Lord, please continue to teach us that because it is not natural to us. So, Lord, we depend on you. Uh, we look to you for life. Thank you for coming to bring life. And now show us, as we walk with you, how to access everything about who you are and what you've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.